Hello, and welcome to Personalized Learning with Matt and Courtney. My name is Matt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, here we talk about the do-dos and don't-dos of personalized learning. Yeah, maybe about do-dos and don'ts of podcasting. Too. <laughs> that might be a, a good help. Um, today, we're going to follow up for the second time on something we talked about last week. Uh, because, again, pe- <laughs> pe- behind like the curtain, well, we, uh, we've yeah. already recorded one of these. But or, Matt forgot to hit record. Yeah, so we had a great podcast. It was so that, good. That we did a couple of days ago, <laughs> and I didn't hit record. So uh, my fault, and I was so yeah. mad. But we're coming back to do it today, and hopefully it'll be just as good as the other one. And as a bonus, Courtney just told me, we're going to add on to it because of things that have happened in the last 48 hours. Yeah, something very it's much related nutty. has happened in the past 48 hours. So uh, so we'll add that in. And it's really not that funny. I should stop laughing. It's not funny at all. It <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. It's terrible, actually. But, yeah. uh, but we'll, we'll get there. Uh, so we, we had a mission on our last podcast to talk about uh, hard conversations is yeah. what we're going to talk about uh, with everybody, apparently. So uh, why don't we uh, why don't we start talking about that right now? Everybody, yeah. So something that a lot of schools are taking on this year um, is having difficult conversations, hard conversations, real conversations about uh, racism mm-hmm. and about intolerance in general. And it's very important work. It's work that rightfully so districts are taking on. And um, it's causing some problems. Yeah. So we talked, we talked about it being harder in different places, hard in general, mm-hmm. but maybe more difficult in, in some different places. So yeah, so so and I also think that there's an added layer of complexity and difficulty and potential problems with distance learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll talk about something that happened here in Maine um, that kind of is at the center of all of that messy soup yeah. <laughs> of all those layers there of having these difficult anti-racist conversations um, while on distance platforms. But uh, I do think that there are parts of Maine where this conversation is even more difficult. And this is probably true in every state. I'm going to say every state has a part of the state where it's just much more difficult to have these conversations. Um, In most of Maine, the minority population is very low. And so you have this initial kind of, well, why do we need to talk about anti-racism? We don't have any black or brown people here. Well, that's not true. (laughs) We do have black and brown people here. We have indigenous people here. Um, We have people of all colors here. And yes, you will find more diversity in the higher population centers. And that's changing. Mm -hmm. And that's changing. And even up in places like Aroostook County, um, where there's higher agriculture, uh, higher concentration of agriculture, we have migrant workers. Right. So there are people, 
people that are black, indigenous, and people of color, brown, they are here in Maine. And so it is important to have those conversations. But it's important to have the conversations anyway, even if the town you live in or the county you live in really is truly 100% white. It's still important because racism is a systemic problem in our nation and in our education system. Agreed. In order to change anything, we have to talk about it and we have to examine that as white people and examine our privilege as white people and understand it um, so that in the future it can change. So let's talk about a couple of the things that have uh, happened, especially in the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah. So you wanted to bring something up that happened in Bangor and then we're gonna follow that up with some of the uh, meetings that you've had recently with other educators from around the state. Yeah, so in Bangor, um, two weeks ago now, Bangor is one of the districts that is implementing a uh, cultural diversity, cultural uh, sensitivity, whatever you wanna call it, curriculum, anti-racism curriculum, that um, from what I understand, centers a lot of, around conversation, right? Which is, um, which is absolutely fantastic, critical conversation. And so this, there was a teacher who was implementing this curriculum or um, whether it was a can, you know, I don't want to say can, but whether it was like a, um, a, like a prescribed offered lesson or offered outline or, or just a topic, I don't know, but uh, the teacher was delivering this curriculum, this instruction. And this was online, right? And it was online. Yep. At least part of it was online. I do not know if it was the hybrid model where um, a teacher is teaching both gotcha. uh, yep. teachers in the room and distance learners at the same time, or if it was mm -hmm. all distance learners, that I'm not clear about. Um, but what happened was, is that a parent noticed this was happening, recorded the lesson, and then put it onto a uh, pro-Trump Facebook group. So lots of problems mm. right there. Like, oh yeah, right there, lots of problems. Yep. Um, but then as you can imagine, what happened is it spun out of control and then the teacher became subject to um, a lot of hate, direct messages of hate. Mm -hmm. And um, Thankfully, the Bangor school district's response was not to back down at all. In fact, they kind of doubled down and were like, so yes, clearly we need to do this. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. And um, as a consequence of that, I'm starting to hear more districts who are engaging in this work starting to actually say, you know what, we need to expand this to involve the community, not just within the school. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, that part, I don't think I connected last time we talked about this one, but you also had some meetings with other educators in Maine recently. Mm -hmm. um, so how, what was that and how did that go and what were some of the issues you saw? Yeah, so this was part of a, um, a cultural competency institute is what, it, what it's being called. And it's to run through another professional organization here in Maine. And I was honored to be asked to help moderate the small groups. Um, it's online format, so you can imagine, you know, there's hundreds, 300 people are involved. So, you know, everyone's kind of in the main session and then we break out into smaller groups for discussion. Um, so I'm a moderator and I get to also learn alongside everyone else, which is amazing. And in our, the first 
discussions we had that we were asked to kind of run were about examining um, examining the profile of a school along different populations and different lines. So first looking at the staff and teachers, what is the profile looking at uh, race and gender? And you could, you could trickle in socioeconomic status, but mostly race and gender. And then what does the student population look like along the lines of race and gender? And then what does the community look like along the lines of race and gender? Um, That's really good so far. Oh, it's an amazing yeah, conversation. Yeah, that, that's really good. It's a, it's a beautiful place to start. It's just, uh, okay, what, what do we have here? What, who's represented on staff and who's not? And who's represented in the student population and who's not? And how do they compare? Um, we didn't really get into solutions yet. And I, I think that that's appropriate not to jump to solutions. Um, although some ideas did come up. But um, one thing I noticed in the conversation was that everyone was much more willing to engage in talking about gender and sexual orientation rather than race. And I had to actually push people to talk about race. A couple people offered, you know, well, we have, and what do you think, you know, elementary K-5, mostly women, becomes more men as you go through high school. Like, any of our listeners could have said that and been like, I yeah. know, I know. Yeah, um, exactly. And so, <laughs> so, yeah, I had to push people and I said, great. You know, I had to say, thank you so much. Can you talk about race now? Um, and then once we started getting deeper, more into the talking about race, it was very clear that people didn't know what language to use. Um, they were stumbling on, you know, African-American or black or, you know, exactly what even titles to use. Um, and I just, that was kind of an aha moment for me. Maybe it shouldn't have been, um, but I thought people would be much more comfortable talking about these things than they are. So were the, were the educators that came from the higher population centers more comfortable with talking about yes. race? Yes. Okay. So, I've been thinking about this when we talked about it last time. And do you think it's because it is more of the day-to-day -day conversation that they have because they have uh, you know, students of, of color uh, in their classrooms that they interact with all the time uh, in which uh, hopefully also means they're interacting with the parents and the guardians also. Right. Uh, so there's just more of an opportunity for interaction. Yeah. So in the, in the, you know, mean when you said that there's not many minorities it's isn't it something like 97.5 percent white as a state uh oh, that sounds very like that sounds about right so that, yeah. when we say that it's, that it's a white state it is a extremely white state and an extremely yeah. older state which may I'm have just gonna add that on that yeah. it's also a very old state so that may have something to do with it also Absolutely. because there's a lot of teachers who are older uh, in the state of Maine. Uh, I know we've been talking about that for a few years now about uh, when these teachers retire, is there going to be enough people to replace them? And I think we're already seeing that, which is a separate conversation, but right. maybe it's because they're, uh, they have an older point of view as opposed to a younger person's point of view, uh, that, th that it's more troubling to talk about race than it is uh, with some younger people these days. So, I don't know. I think, I'm, I'm, I think all of those are really valid explanations, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I think there's also just a, a level of um, 
exposure and comfort, like that kind of comfort. You know, like you said earlier, uh, these discussions are never easy and they're never entirely comfortable, but you can be um, more at ease in them. And I think just being used to being in an, envi an environment with more diversity helps with that. Absolutely. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. Um, since I moved to Southern California, it's obviously a much more diverse place around here. Um, even though I work from home and live in my apartment 24 seven, uh, still going out, you, you just see people yeah. all of all Right. Uh, of all colors, of all yeah. shapes, all sizes, clearly languages. I hear right. so many different languages right. um, that it's clearly more diverse and yeah. it's just, it's just where you are. It, right. it, it's nothing special. It's not something different uh, as opposed to in Maine. Sometimes when you hear a different language, it's like, Oh, okay. Well, that's something different, at least in the, small towns that I worked in, which, yeah. you know, were not the higher population centers. It, it was a rarity and it, it stood out is, I guess yeah. is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas if it's just more normalized, it's just, that's just where you are. That's who you're interacting with. It's, it's not a big deal because nobody stands out at that point. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I agree a hundred percent. I grew up in New York on Long Island mm -hmm. and uh, same uh, you know, the town I lived in was very white, but, uh, and I used to refer to it as the bubble, but um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I got out of it. My parents were, were intentionally supported us getting out of the bubble as much yep. as possible. Yep, that's good. Um, yeah, and so, yeah, I think those are really good points that it's like, even though the conversation isn't easier and like there's still, um, a lot of self-reflection and learning ourselves to do for white people who live in more diverse areas. Um, just the, the, the sheer um, occurrence and uh, familiarity with uh, diversity can make it seem less daunting. Yeah, I think, I think if we think about that, we're trying to help our kids first, right? Uh, yeah. help, help our kids because our kids are probably not going to all stay in the same town they live in for the rest of their lives. Yeah. They're going to go and, you know, basically spread across the world at this point and have them prepared for it. And just because we're not prepared for it as much as adults doesn't mean that we can't do this for our kids. Yeah. So, and you know what, there's a kid sitting in like, you know, second, third grade somewhere that's going to be president of the United States one day. Uh, let's hope. Speaking of that, so this is the, uh, the piece that uh, to add into this discussion is that um, most of you know, if you don't know, I don't know whether to applaud you for keeping yourself like safe from the news <laughs> or to shake you and say, listen, pay attention. There's a little bit of both, but um, was it yesterday or was it Wednesday evening? Trump, uh, Trump has called for uh, creating a, a uh, curriculum, a national curriculum that is pro-American, mm -hmm. saying that learners have been subject to left-wing indoctrination in schools. Mm -hmm. So um, we're not going to, we're not NPR reporters here. We don't have to hide our political leanings, nope. but this 
And I, I mean, this is so amazing to say, right? Because it's like, I think I've said this every few months is like, this terrifies me a lot. Almost, it's like, this is worse than a lot of other things, but I've said that so many times. So I don't know. Yeah. There's so but, many bad things. What is the absolute worst thing? I, I have a hard time saying it, but this is, this is one of them because this, this will affect, and this will, it won't just say affect. I'll say this will attract a lot of people yes. who want to think that way, that want to keep our kids in the bubble, as you just mentioned, right. uh, you know, the white American exceptionalism bubble uh, that has kind of dissipated over the past 20 years or so. Uh, American exceptionalism. Um, I'm not sure if we're, if that means we should be number one in COVID cases and COVID deaths. Is, yeah. is that a sign of our greatness? I guess. I, I, I don't know. If that's what some people think. So. Yeah. So he's, um, he's calling it the 1776 commission, which. Um, oh, if you're no, I did not know that. You didn't know that. Oh, no. I'm happy I was able to <laughs> oh, share something. No. So why is that sick, Matt Shea? Yeah, because I think that is a 100,000 percent direct response towards the 1619 project that you came out correct. two years ago. You are absolutely correct. I have heard a lot of things about the 1619 Project lately, mm -hmm. that it is a reimagining of American history and shows how terrible America was at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And my response is like, well, it's, it's history. It's history. And, you know, if you couldn't figure out that all of the founding fathers were slave owners and how that reconciled with with the document that they wrote if you don't take that next step and think about what that is then you're just you're not reimagining history you're erasing history yes. with the 1776 project you're erasing the fact that america was founded on slave labor yeah and there's nothing um maybe not nothing but there's very little that is polished and beautiful and loving about colonialism <laughs> so, no exactly so uh anywhere and that's not just anywhere, an american yeah, thing that's period that's yeah period that's period. that's yeah. everything Every, you know yeah. creating new countries is never so, no. it's 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 not happy and joyful it's no. usually starts with uh you know wars and hatred yeah uh, just like all of them you know america just didn't rise from the ashes no yeah yeah, it kind of broke away by fighting wars and right. killing people and doing things to build your country in maybe not so nice ways. Right. But that's that's the story of really any country. Every country. So why not just make that part of our history and be able to learn from it? Right. And also highlight the good things that happen because there are some really great things of that course. happened. Of course. Um, so, yeah, so that's, um, kind of just juxtapose that with some of the, you know, the lash, the backlash and, um, you know, if that Bangor incident is kind of like a, a, a case study that represents what's happening across the nation and then yeah. juxtapose that with this idea of the 1776 commission to, um, <laughs> which would, should teach students about the miracle of American history, which is, those are Trump's words. Um, the pro-American curriculum that celebrates the truth about our nation's great history. Um, it's, 
it's terrifying. And yeah. it makes me even more proud of the teachers in the districts that are saying, no. Yeah, just now. Just, I mean, just no. But even before this, <laughs> right. saying, we need to talk about, um, we need to talk about racism. And we need to talk about uh, bias. And we need to talk about all of these problems. Uh, I guess... So if you're interested in taking some steps yourself, I guess I do want to, before we like totally close the door on that, mm -hmm. just, you know, it, it, this likely isn't going to go anywhere, like in reality, except while people up and bring pressure on districts. Um, because yeah. in the United States, it is states and local districts that have control over curriculum. Yeah, you may have remembered our, our podcast listeners uh, remember the Common Core fights that right. there is no national curriculum. They are there suggestions. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and so there we, should not be. <laughs> so vote if you have not registered to vote. Make sure you're registered to vote, and um, request your absentee ballot and make sure you vote in November. Yep. Yep. Make sure you uh, register soon for those because I know ballots are going out as soon as yeah. next week. Yep. So. Yeah. Um, if you feel comfortable going to polling places, more power to you. Do it. Yep. Uh, but make sure you you go out there and get your vote in the count. Um, another thing you can do if you're curious about places to start for your own learning for um, understanding white privilege or um, understanding the systemic nature of racism in the public education system. I never like saying the same word twice in one sentence, but I've done it a couple times today. I'll just deal with it. Learners are learning, Courtney. Learners are learning. Learners are learning, I know. All right, so uh, Pedagogy of the Oppressed by Freire Paolo. Uh, this is a, it's actually a 50th anniversary this year. So this book has been written a long time ago and uh, it was originally written in uh, Portuguese. He is a Brazilian and so it's been translated. This is a dense book. This is like read a couple paragraphs, think about it, take some notes on it, go back to it. This is not one that you're going to breeze through. Um, but a beautiful book gives some really wonderful perspectives on what oppression is and how the oppressed and the oppressors kind of cycle through one another and how to break the cycle. Um, it doesn't speak specifically to race. It speaks more generally about oppressors and oppressed, but 100% applicable. So the next one, um, Courageous Conversations About Race, A Field Guide for Achieving Equity in Schools by Glenn Singleton. This is a very popular book that gives you um, the tools and processes for holding these conversations. Um, so if you know that these conversations have to happen and you're just looking for a place to go to maybe help you figure out how to even start that, this is a great resource. Uh, why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria and other conversations about race by Tatum Beverly Daniel? Kind of like a more of a socio, socio, sociological perspective on how kids separate one another and why that's happening in our schools um, and more about race in schools. Uh, White Fragility, which is a great book to just start with. Um, I don't have the author listed right here. That, that kind of stinks. Matt, maybe you could do that while I'm talking a little bit. 
but this is really good for just um, beginning to understand why, uh, what our role is as white people, um, no matter how woke <laughs> we think we might be, um, and understanding how kind of small actions and small ways of being contribute to the larger problems. Um, and The Last Book Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates is another fantastic place to start to understand the Black perspective in America. So I encourage you to pick up any of those and just start. Robin D'Angelo is the author of White Fragility. to unmute myself, sorry. Uh, <laughs> those are some great resources, Courtney. The, the, I had not heard of the first two uh, mm -hmm. that you mentioned, but uh, starting with uh, the one about uh, why are all the black kids sitting together, that's one that, that I think most people are at least are familiar with. Mm -hmm. um, and the last couple, of course, I, I think people realize, especially if they've been reading the news at all for the last six months or so, uh, those have been out there too. The, I've, I've yes. heard those mentioned frequently yes. about those, but those are all some great ideas. We'll put those uh, links into the show notes um, and on our uh, our website. We'll put those links to there also in the show notes for the episode. Excellent. So that I think I think that was that was a good one. It was the second second time we did that one, but uh, we had more information this time. <laughs> I still can't believe they named it that 1776 project. That still gets me. I'm, wow. I'm just, wow, that's just a slap in the face. So, it is. wow. Um, all right, we'll, we'll be back uh, next week with uh, more. As always, I just mentioned our website, uh, plnmc.com. You can contact us on Twitter or Facebook at the same things. And uh, let us know what is happening in your schools and what you'd like to talk about. And we'd be happy to share. It doesn't matter what